and if you're just finding your way, glad to have you here with us this morning. And Judy, we're really pleased to have you here with us this morning. For those of you who have not met Judy, she has been with us for a number of years, coming to speak about various topics. She is a counsellor, a minister in her own right, and uh, it's brilliant to have you here this morning, Judy. Um, so please, you are talking amongst friends whilst you are here, okay? Um, because we've asked you to come along and speak into this whole theme of shadow sides that we've been unpacking over the last month and we'll do so over the next two weeks as well. So we've got some pre-recorded questions for you and in fact if you are here this morning, I love taking notes, um, the things that Judy is going to be sharing are on a handout just on the two tables here that you can take with you this morning so you can reflect upon as well. So Judy, welcome, glad to have you with us this morning. You're one of our friends and uh, not that we sort of invite people, anyway, um, uh, but it's brilliant to have you here speaking into this um, this morning. So a couple of questions, just want to run your way as we unpack this together. Um, so can you relate to the idea? of a shadow side as a counsellor? If so, how? Well, the first time I ever heard that phrase used was somebody talking about Carl Jung's idea of the shadow, which other people see but we don't. But really, in terms of Christianity, if there wasn't uh, a shadow, there wouldn't be a need for Jesus to be a light. And so the, the reality of shadows is what Jesus came to illuminate. It's good. Can everyone hear Judy, what she's saying? We might just turn her up a fraction. That'd be great. Um, Are we always aware of our shadow sides, Judy? And um, do they become more obvious to us and to others? I think we're always aware that there are things about ourselves that we're not crazy about. But it's the things that surprise us that are more the shadows, where you've stumbled over something or somebody else has given you feedback that you didn't expect or didn't like. Uh, where we become aware that there's a bit more to this at times. It's, it can be quite confusing, actually. Hmm. Um, uh, why do we have shadow sides? Let's sort of back it up for a moment. Why do we have sa- shadow sides, and, and when do they form in a person's life? From the time that you're in existence, you're learning. You're learning from the relationships, the environment, from everything around you. And you're interpreting. You're interpreting who you are, who others are, what the world is like. And those interpretations, of course, are based on feeling and sensation, not on adult perspective. So from the start of our lives, we are learning and coping with the best that we've got. But that's not all about truth. That's all about doing the best you can, making the best sense you can, surviving the best you can. And some of those ways are not really that in line with the reality of who the light Jesus is. So um, can you give us some examples of people who have um, sort of entered into some of those shadow sides at a young age and sort of what's going on there? Um, We we talked about a few before. Well, there's lots lots of different ways that this can unfold from some degree of emotional emptiness or pain or restlessness or curiosity, we can stumble upon something that for a little while changes the way that we feel, makes us feel less restless, more um, disengaged from our own thought world and engaged in something else. And that can be a number of things. It can be a a painful and difficult thing, like somebody taking advantage of you. It could also be stumbling upon something with curiosity, such as a porn magazine or a porn image. Or it can be stumbling upon 
the fact that playing that little gambling game was kind of distracting and thrilling, or some other sort of thing that you just find that it, it takes you away from your internal focus and into feeling better for a while. Okay. Or feeling different for a while. Okay, so it, it's, it's, so it triggers some of those other emotional responses mm-hmm. at a young age. So maybe it's the gambling thing. What about if someone gives you a whole lot of uh, affirmation and the buzz that that gets from you? How, how does that kind of work? Although we have a certain emphasis today that uh, almost overbuilds self-esteem, in general people feel a certain amount of, a certain amount of gap a certain amount of uncertainty that they're really good enough, that they're really wanted, that they really have the approval of those who are important to them. And so we're hungry for whatever we think might get that. And if we do get it, or if we get it, you know, I remember learning about intermittent reinforcement, that intermittent reinforcement was stronger than continuous reinforcement. So if you get one little praise for something in a field of not very often getting any praise, that thing will stand out. And if you get praised for it one time out of ten, you'll do it twenty, trying to get the get the feedback. It makes me feel better, and that can of course lead into workaholism, uh, over fascination with some kind of achievement that then, in the long run, takes you down a pathway of it messing up other parts of your life. And is that the same for say gambling, pornography, other areas right. that might form shadow sides? It starts with it with with the feeling of this is helpful. Um, even if it's something I need to be secretive about, it still makes me feel better for a little while. But then the secrets, the lying, the stealing, the hiding, um, all, and the preoccupation with things that take time and money and fill your mind with other things pulls you out of life and into a worse trap than you started in. And that's what the, the direction of porn, the, directness, the direction of gambling direction of drinking, all those things end up down that path where you actually destroy yourself. So what can start off as a very innocent thing can form a pattern over the years. How much control do these things have upon people? You know, if you were to enter into one of the anonymous groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, the very first step is to admit powerlessness. It's very, very difficult to admit the feeling of helplessness over something, to admit that this thing feels like it has more power than I do. Um, so that's, that's really hard to face. But in fact, our solutions tend to take on a power of their own because they're driven often by interpretations that we have that are not well understood by us, not well examined. And those interpretations are actually driving us. Is God interested in our shadow sides? Well, since Jesus is the light, I guess he must be interested in doing something about shadows. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What do you think his desire is for us? Let's say you're aware or you become aware through someone else pointing out something or you're acutely aware of the areas that you stumble in. Um, How do you see God starting to... What's his desire for us in those things? I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Adam and Eve. But when they uh, disobeyed what God had said, they felt shame, and their reaction when God called to them was to hide. And they said, we feel naked, and therefore we hid ourselves. That's pretty well our reaction every time 
something gets called to our attention, we become aware of something that doesn't make us feel good, we'd actually prefer to run and hide. We don't actually want to open us to the gaze of open ourselves to the gaze of relationships. We're afraid. Um, the shame feels terrible. So our tendency is to run. But God wants us to come into the light, into the love that he is. Light and love are one in him. Truth is one. So truth, light, love, that's that's the direction of peace. Every one of those things is who he is. Mm. Um, Judy, if, if we're not aware of some of the shadows, um, we can become aware of them painfully. Mm. Um, how might we become more aware? Do you, have you found in your experience God's nudging, God's prompting, um, or even just through my own self-awareness, I'm becoming uh, aware of an area of my life that I just want to keep there. What's people's experiences there? Well, I think you, it can happen in a personal time of reflection, but it also can happen by un- uncomfortable interactions with other people, mm. uh, disappointing yourself, uh, falling short in a way that you didn't expect to, um, or that you did expect to, which just shows, again, how much negative stuff you've got going on in the background. Mm. Um, it's usually something that brings us up short, but it certainly can happen in the privacy of our own reflections. Mm. Yeah. You've mentioned shame. How much is that a driver in all of this, at least to keep us in the shadows? How powerful is that emotion over people's lives? Where have you seen that taking control? Shame really can... We often use words like embarrassed or um, uh, something something like feeling dirty, uh, feeling defective. All those things are in the re- the ballpark of shame. Uh, it's a bit different from guilt. Guilt is I've done the wrong thing. Shame is I am the wrong thing. Mm. Um, guilt, shame, and fear are all drivers. They, they are all uh, uh, social regulators and internal regulators, and they have good and bad sides. Uh, the good side is you don't want to be shameless. You don't want to run down the street naked. You, you know, you ha- you need to actually have a certain amount of wisdom about, um, about covering to a degree. But on the other hand, shame can keep you in the shadows and stop you from bringing yourself to the light where you need to come, mm. to the gaze of someone who is willing, very much like that video, who's willing to care about you. Mm. I thought the interaction there was very sensitive and very gentle. And in fact, where do you see the intersection between God's spirit working in someone's life and a community of friends, a church family, other followers of Jesus, other friends, um, perhaps helping us to walk out of those shadows and into the light. How do those things intersect? I think we kind of need to start with the fact that we we come to our perception of who God is through others in the first place. Mm. So as your parents were, as caregivers were, those are some of the things that help to shape your opinion of who God is. And so experiencing human interaction is really important in terms of coming to know who God is in something. Uh, So we need to be able to find people who are accepting people, people who are um, genuine, who are actually willing to attune to where we're at and empathize with us as opposed to fix us or uh, tell us we shouldn't feel that way or we don't feel that way or it's not true or whatever, but just to engage with where we are 
gently, like she did in that video, um, for an opportunity to find out that actually Jesus is like that too. If someone, um, so I'm hearing you say we we play a powerful role in in that. If someone was to share um, something of a shadow with someone else, what advice would you give us? Let's unpack that just a little bit more. What advice would you give us? Um, How would we respond for that first engagement? Because it can be incredibly uh, vulnerable for the person who is communicating. I think that word vulnerable is really key, isn't it? If um, if you think of other word like vulnerable, you have other words like tender, fragile. So what, how do you respond to someone or something that is tender or fragile? Well, with care, with gentleness, um, with attentiveness to how that thing works. You don't try to push it in the opposite direction to how it's actually formed. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an approach of, of being in tune with, approach of listening rather than telling, um, walking with. It's mm. yeah. very good. Um, once someone's been brought out into the light or they're on a journey of really breaking um, the bonds that can enslave, um, I, I wonder, uh, will they always be free from that? Or will there be a limp? Will they ever struggle with those things again? As a counsellor, what's your experience about people's journeys out of those shadows in, into the light? As, I, as I've said to Troy on this before, there's, there's a yes and a no. Uh, the part that can be shifted is if you have believed a lie and you've actually got it, that that was a lie, the truth can actually truly set you free. So you've, you actually no longer believe what you used to believe. You still might be tempted to fall back on that same belief, but something in you already knows that it isn't true. So that part shifts. But in terms of behaviors, we have habits that actually need to change. We also may need to avoid certain things that we know are likely to pull us down that particular pathway. They're familiar ways. Um, we are damaged, and we've damaged our relationships. So there are, there are people that... We may have to tread very carefully from because carefully with because we haven't been all that great with them. Plus, they're damaged too. Um, so there's a there's a process and a journey and a and a need for patience with ourselves and with others who might not yet recognize that you're this radically changed, amazing person that you are really hoping you're becoming. <laughs> there's a wonderful truth in the Bible in John chapter eight. It talks about um, Jesus saying, "If you remain in my words, in my truth." then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And there's this wonderful saying that John says, you know, the Jesus words, if the Son of Man has set you free, then you will be free indeed. How do you relate to that particular passage? I think one of the things that is really important is to begin to recognize that the Bible makes very clear that Jesus is the Word. The Word of God is Jesus. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's saying, when you are relating to me personally, you're relating to truth. So we can kind of, we need to take it a bit out of the cognitive and into the relational, that we're actually in relationship with the one who is both love and truth, light and freedom. So it's that relationship that that sets us free, but you have to continue in it. 
And it's supported very much by walking together with a community mm. of people that you are being genuine with, that fosters your being honest with God, um, and um, forgiving towards and accepting of, modeling those things to you as well. Mm. Judy, as you talk about these things, the overwhelming, the, the word that comes to me is hope. There, there's a wonderful sense, I think, of, of hope that comes with Jesus, but hope with one another. We can be so caught up in the finger pointing, you did this, you did this, or I did this, or I did this, rather than this sort of sense of mutually encouraging one another and building one another up. Um, uh, have you experienced the power of a community like that? Have you seen people experience the power? What's the effect on people's lives when that's the approach people take rather than the, the finger pointing? You know, we all encounter each other the way we are today. Um, my husband and I are very sure that we would not have married each other if we'd met, met each other decades before because <laughs> we'd already been transformed quite a bit and a lot by the power of loving relationships as well as by our relationship with Jesus first and foremost. There's a, there's a sense of time where you're always looking backwards to try to make sense of and forwards to try to see what's being held out towards you, and you're in the now in a process. So there's always hope because the future's open, because the future's held by the one who loves you and knows you best. And in that hope also there's often a need to look back and try to understand and to hold openness towards others who are also in process. That's good. Now, you've brought a book with you this morning. Could you explain what what is this and people can get a copy of it? Troy was asking me for resources, and I couldn't think of something that was very current. But I had recently been to a conference with this person, Professor Bruce Stevens, who is a Christian psychologist. And uh, he said to all of us, "Um, give this away. I'll send you the PDF, and you can give it away. And I thought it actually was an appropriate thing for the topic that we had today. It's called Hidden Learning, The Way We're Wired for Intimacy. So I sent Troy the PDF, and if you're interested, you can get a copy. Yeah, you can just write your name down on one of the little um, white cards in front of you, and we'll go ahead and, and send that to you as well. Judy, as always, it's a pleasure having you here. There's always much to unpack, and I'm sure many of us here are listening and processing. Is that right? There's a lot of processing going on. So we're going to have um, uh, Zach and Mark come up now, and we're going to pause for a moment and just listen to a song. It's called Jesus, He Loves Me. I think it's appropriate. And my prayer through this is that as we're given some time to think and reflect, that God might be stirring and working in us, reminding us that we can walk out of the shadows and into his light. Thanks, Judy. Would you put your hands together? This last number of months, uh, this last month, the shadows, stepping out of the shadows. And I'm reminded at the start of this year, we... Um, set aside a theme and we said this year we want to be the year in which we want to be courageous in fact as NCR here we um, believe that we exist making courageous followers of Jesus Christ courage I wonder what God might be speaking to you about this morning I wonder what he might want to shift in your life I wonder what he might whisper in your ear today. Because I'm convinced that God is more interested in what he wants to do in us than through us. 
God is more interested in what he wants to do in us than through us. I wonder if you have ever done something that is so catastrophic in your life that you feel that you are disqualified and defeated, no longer worthy of either God's love, someone else's love, your own love. I wonder if there has been something that you have done that you regret profoundly. And as a result of that, even if as I speak and ask this question right now, you you find yourself wanting to hide in the shadows. In fact, the shame kind of wells up and you feel like it's sort of rushing over you just once again, reminding you of that time, that event, that circumstance. It just bubbles to the surface. It's like an open wound. Well, there is one man in the Bible, in the pages of the New Testament, that that very circumstance was true for him. And in the time that I have remaining, I want to tell you about his life and his journey and how Jesus profoundly changed and shaped his life, healed his wound, and set him forward. The name of this person is, I can almost answer that. In fact, let's have a conversation. Oh, there we are. His name's Peter. Simon Peter. The one that Jesus said of him when the first time he met him was, Simon, you are a rock. I'm going to call you Peter. In fact, uh, there's lovely characteristics about this man, Peter. In fact, the first time that, that Jesus bumped in him and his brother Andrew brought him to Jesus, Jesus looked him square in the eye, summed him up and said, you know what? I'm no longer going to call you Simon. I'm going to call you Peter because you will be kind of like a rock around the movement which I'm about to form. In fact, Peter had these wonderful strengths in his life. He had the kind of strength uh, that was charismatic. If you looked at Peter, he was the kind of person that, that would just grab and mobilize people around him. He was a front man. He was a leader. He, he, he was the kind of person that just with his own sheer charisma could, could draw a crowd. If you needed someone to act, it was Peter. If you needed someone to be strong and bold, it was Peter. If you needed someone to be decisive, it was Peter. If you needed someone to act when everyone else was running away, it was Peter. Peter had incredible strengths. As you wrap through his life and following Jesus, you first meet him as a fisherman out on the sea. And he'd come back from a night of fishing and there'd be no fish. And Jesus calls out to him and says... Why don't you throw your net in on the other side? And he says, okay, master, he obeys him. And he throws his net in and there's this huge haul of fish. That was Peter. And then there was another time where all the disciples were away with Jesus on a mountainside in Caesarea Philippi, surrounded by rock. Uh, Jesus turns to his followers and says, who do people say that I am? And Peter replies, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, uh, uh, you're our king. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, well done. You didn't just make that up yourself. God showed you that. You're Peter. You're the rock. 
Sometime later, Jesus is walking across the Sea of Galilee. It's nighttime. He's a ghostly figure. And all the disciples in their boats are terrified. But, but Peter sees Jesus standing out there in the water. And just as Peter does in his presumptuous, impetuous way, he calls out to him and says, Jesus, can I come to you? And, and Jesus says, yes, come, Peter. And he steps out of the boat on the, on the water and he walks towards Jesus. On the night that Jesus was to be portrayed, when he declared to his disciples in a few short hours, the Son of Man will be, be taken by guards, and he will be mocked, and he will be beaten, and he will be crucified. On the third day, he'll rise again, and, and you will all desert me. It's Peter that says more loudly than anyone else, everyone else might desert you. But I will not desert you at all. I am your man. I will stay with you. I will die with you, Jesus. Peter. But with every strength, there's also a weakness. A shadow. Because it was Peter who straight after he declared that Jesus was the Messiah also said, you will not go to the cross. (laughs) And Jesus rebuked him. It was Peter who was out on the water, walking towards Jesus, who began to turn his gaze to all the waves around, and he began to sink, and he cried out for help. It was Peter. And it was Peter on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Jesus turned to him and said, Peter... Before the night is out, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And Peter boldly said, everyone else will fail you, but I will never, I will die with you. And so there he was on the night, that night, warming his hands by a fire. Because all the other disciples had run away, but not Peter. He'd followed Jesus at a distance, walked up to the high priest's house. And there in the courtyard, he began to warm his hands by the fire. And he was observing the conversation and the interaction, the mocking and the beating that was going on just only a few meters away. Peter was there observing. And a servant girl came to Peter and said, aren't you one of... His disciples, Jesus' disciples, to which Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he shifted and he he moved away. As he heard the the mocking and the beating and the cursing of Jesus, as fear surrounded and swelled within that courtyard, another girl came to him, a servant girl, and said, surely you are with him. I've seen you with this man, Jesus. A second time, Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he moved away and shifted again. After some time in hearing what was taking place and the condemnation of Jesus and the beatings, someone else came to him, a servant girl, and said, you you were with him. You're a Galilean too. To which Peter called down curses from heaven and said, I don't know the man. And he ran off outside. Just after a rooster had crowed and Jesus, just a short distance away, turned and looked at him 
And they eyeballed one another face to face. Peter fled. And he wept and wept and wept bitterly like a little baby. So grieved by what he'd done. Three days had gone by. And everything had changed. Jesus had risen back to life again. A new creation and a new power had, had poured itself out in the old creation. And everything had changed. But there was still unfinished business. Jesus had appeared to the disciples the first time. And he had appeared to the disciples a second time. But for Peter, it was bittersweet. Because there was still that elephant in the room. That night of failure. That night of shame. I'm sure there were many times that Peter had gone over in his head, how on earth could I have done that? Peter, the rock, how on earth could have I possibly said those things? What was I thinking? And we find near the end of John's gospel at the end of his book, chapter 21, perhaps the most intimate conversation between Jesus and a person Perhaps the most intimate conversation recorded in the pages of the entire Bible. The disciples had gone up to Galilee. Jesus has said, go there. Wait for me. And so sure enough, they'd gone up and they were waiting. But true to Peter's form, he couldn't just sit idly and do nothing. So he said, let's do something while we wait. Let's go fishing. And so they did. They pushed their boats out and for the whole night they went fishing. And John's very particular, he says, at the dawn, in the morning hours, just when the sun is breaking through, they'd returned to the shore, hadn't caught a thing, and they hear this voice on the water calling out, Children, you haven't caught anything. No, they called back. It echoed on the deep. Well, then throw your nets over to the right-hand side and you'll find some fish. And so as they do, they just, they just listen to the man on the shore, this, this, this figure. They throw their nets in and this school of fish swim in. John's very clear, 153 fish in all. <laughs> and as they start to haul their nets, the penny drops. And John says to Peter... It's the master. Remember? Fish in nets. And at that moment, it says Peter jumps out of his boat and he just launches himself into the water. He doesn't care for the fish. He doesn't care for the boats. He can't get to Jesus fast enough. And he wades his way through. And when he gets to the shoreline, Jesus has already prepared a meal for them, fish and bread. And they make their way and they sit together and they eat with him. And there is no conversation because they just wonder and marvel. And then it says, after breakfast, Jesus finally had a one-on-one with Peter, walking along the shoreline. This time, not eyeball to eyeball, but shoulder to shoulder. You could imagine, 
First time alone. Failure written all over Peter's face. And silence as they walk. Tenderly, deliberately, Jesus speaks. Simon, son of John, not Peter. Simon, son of John. It should be for a first time. Do you love me? He asked. Do you love me more than these? Peter replies, Oh, you know I love you more than I love your followers, your disciples. You know I'm your friend. Well, then Jesus says to him, Feed my sheep. They walk on a little bit further in the silence. Jesus speaks again. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master. You know I'm your friend. I mean, some people at this moment would say, Jesus, you know he's your friend. You know He loves you. You know how he has wept. Why do you have to go to that place? Well, Jesus knows if he doesn't, there'll always be a whispering ear of the evil one, reminding. There'll always be the pang of the conscience that defeats you. There'll always be the reminder in that next pressurized moment of the past failure. Without Jesus going to lance the wound... There will be no healing, no flowing power of God. We can't just ignore that. And Jesus wants to go to it. Without causing some pain, there will always be a greater pain. And so Jesus comes. A third time. Simon, son of John. Are you my friend? And now in just that simple third repetition, third time Jesus had appeared, 153, John's trying to, he's hinting at, and all of a sudden, Peter is back in the courtyard, warming his hands over that fire. And he's taken all the way back to that moment in which his greatest failure, devastating moment, Occurred. The smoke in his eyes, the fear surrounding him, and you could just feel and sense Peter's heart sink. Peter was upset that on this third time Jesus asked, Are you my friend? And his reply, heartfully, Master, you know that I am your friend. Well, in Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You see, we often think that the Christian life is about coming to accept Jesus' forgiveness. And then it's a life about sin management. Don't, 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 don't. And when I break one of the don'ts, 
I'm guilty and, and I've blown it with God, so why not just go ahead and keep blowing it and blowing it and blowing it? But that just does not say nowhere near about what the life of Jesus is really on about. If you like, it doesn't say enough. Because the life with Jesus is about do. And it starts with a simply profound question for any would-be followers or for those who have been following and have found themselves in situations where they have failed, where they have fallen short, where they've been defeated, racked by guilt and shame. Jesus comes with a simply profound question. Do you love me? Because when you answer that question, everything else just seems to fall into place. Do you love me? See, because if you love me, you want to do the right thing with your hands in the times in which you don't. Where there's remorse and regret and repentance, Jesus will come to you again and say, do you love me? And if you answer from the heart, yeah, I do. Well, then receive. Receive. And come forward and live. That's what my cross is about. That's what my resurrection is for. Not that you will never do anything wrong in your life. Not that you will never fail. Not that in your humanness that you will never do things that you can't even imagine that you would have done. But you did. But it's that there's a living Jesus present. His grace is so profound and deep. They'll enter into your life and wash your heart and put you back into his service again. I wonder if you're here today and you still carry a weeping open wound. Don't you think it's time that you might allow God to cauterize it, cause a little pain? So that his healing might flow. Wonder if you're here today, filled with regrets. You're wondering, I, I can maybe believe that God would forgive me, but can I forgive me? If Jesus' cross has any power, not only speaks of his forgiveness for you, but his empowering love. That you might be able to even forgive what you have done with your own hands. That he might shine his light. We're going to finish this morning with a quietly played song and an opportunity to respond. And I wonder what God might be saying to you here today. Peter, years later writes a letter to other followers of Jesus, and he writes these words. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. Your purpose is to announce the virtuous deeds of the one who called you out of darkness and into his amazing light. And Peter knows it because he's experienced how light The light is. The light ain't heavy. The light 
is light and it's good and it's freeing and there's joy and there's hope there's wonder you see we weren't made to walk in the darkness we were made to be set free from the grasp of sin and death and darkness and shadows that we might walk in freshness and newness of life that is good 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 news Do you know it? Do you know it? So I've brought with me a candle. We've got some people right now that are just going to go and get a basket. Hop on up now. Go. Move. And we're going to ask them to go to the four corners of this room and the one corner of the room next door. And they've got a candle. The amazing thing about a candle is that when you light it, it pushes out darkness. Darkness cannot overcome light, just like Jesus. So what I'd invite you to do, if you want to walk in that newness and freshness of life, if you want to lay hold and claim to stepping out of the shadows, then jump up out of your seat as they sing this wonderful, great song. Go and take a candle. Take it with you today, throughout the week. And I dare you, I dare you, each day light it. Place it in a sacred space. Worship Jesus. Read his words. John 21. Go there. Pray. And each day, Jesus, would you shine your light into my life? The only question you need to answer here to hop on out and go and take a candle is this. Do you love Jesus? Would you like to love him some more? Would you? He's amazing. So as they sing, that's you. When I cast out some shadows, receive his forgiveness, walk in newness, encounter healing, then prayerfully, would you just jump up, just jump up, just jump up, go and take a candle. Jesus, would you shine your light into my life? Thank you. Why don't we respond?